Just a quick note to listeners before this episode. You may have noticed from the title, it is about scurvy, which is a disease. So there are gross moments. There was one moment in particular that turned my stomach. But it's not as gross as you think. It's not gross all the way through. Um, And I feel like that's enough of a content warning for y'all with weak stomachs or guts. Um, No harm done if you want to skip this one. Okay, I am off to finish editing and then I'm going to eat a fuck ton of vitamin C. Hey fellow nerds, welcome to Research Hole, a podcast where I talk to artists about the research holes we fall down on the way to our projects. I'm Val Howlett. You guys, it's all coming together. Um, I feel like I've hit a beautiful goal, which is um, I have hit the point where I enough of my friends know about the podcast where people are like, oh, you do a podcast about weird research holes. Let me connect you with my friend who randomly knows a lot about X. And that is exactly what happened with today's guest. (laughs) I'm really excited to introduce you all and myself to Jane Flett. Jane Flett is a Scottish writer based in Berlin. Her poetry has been published in Pank, Hobart, and the and the best British poetry, where her fiction has been commissioned for BBC Radio 4, highly commended in the Bridgeport Prize, and is forthcoming in Electric Literature's recommended reading. She's a recipient of the Scottish Book Trust New Writer Award, the New Orleans Writing Residency, and the 2020 Berlin Senate Stipend for Non-German Literature. Jane is also one half of the Riot Girl band Razor Cunts and a co-founder of Queer Stories Berlin. Welcome, Jane. Hi. I'm so excited to be here. I'm really excited to have you. Um, I So all I know is that you know a lot about scurvy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know, I know a few other things about you because you're friends with my friend Rebecca, but... Not that many things. So I would love to know, like, where the, I imagine the interest in scurvy came from a project, yeah? Yes. Well, actually, originally the interest in scurvy came from an image my girlfriend sent me that she'd seen on Tumblr. That was, (laughs) that was a quote from something someone had written, um, Jeff, Jeff Manor, um, Mm-hmm. And maybe, I, yeah, maybe I can read you the quote from it because it's so good and it's definitely, what, yeah. So he had this nonfiction going through these different um, scurvy and various different ideas about the past, and it opens with this about scurvy. In a 2011 paper on the medical effects of scurvy, author Jason C. Anthony offers a remarkable detail about human bodies and the long-term presence of wounds. Without vitamin C, Anthony writes, we cannot produce collagen, an essential component of bones, cartilage, tendons, and other connective tissues. Collagen binds our wounds, but that binding is replaced continually throughout our lives. Thus, in advanced scurvy, reached when the body has gone too long without vitamin C, old wounds long thought healed will magically, painfully reappear. In a sense, there is no such thing as healing. From paper cuts to surgical scars, our bodies are mere catalogues of wounds, imperfectly locked doors, quietly waiting, sooner or later, to spring back open. So disgusting. (laughs) 
Oh my God. It's so good, right? (laughs) It's really good. It's really good and really horrifying. Yeah. (laughs) I... (laughs) I was disgusted and excited, which uh-huh. is a good combination. And so this this idea came, became the basis of one of the characters in a novel that I've been working on where, um, well, she, it's, she is a Scottish wrestler who ends up joining like a feminist apocalypse cult at the end of the world. Um, and I had this idea about this idea of old scars reopening all the time. There being no such thing as healing imperfectly locked doors to the past. So she kind of has this thing where all of her old wounds are starting reopening and that starts it. So it's not actually caused by scurvy in my novel. And the degree of research I did about scurvy is actually quite irrelevant to (laughs) where that particular story (laughs) ended up going. I imagine reading about scurvy was a jumping off point, right? I mean, had were you already working on the novel when you read that? I was that, already... What you just read to me? Yeah, I was already working on the novel and had various ideas about why this person was chosen to go and join this cult, why they were considered some kind of chosen one. And then when I read this and thought about it and thought also about, like, I don't know, I feel it fits really well with ideas about, like, stigmata and saints and these like ideas of reopened wounds you know like jesus has in his hands and yeah how saints get this if they or people worshiping if they pray enough and they get like their jesus's wounds opening up on them so yeah i don't know these ideas kind of came together and bred and made many more strange ideas after them um Absolutely. I mean, that that was a thought I had is is it's a I mean, it's a pregnant metaphor in a lot of ways. The ideas of us being a catalog of our wounds, but it certainly feels very Catholic to me. Totally. And yeah, this like (laughs) glorious, glorious suffering. And yeah, just just like this idea as well that like the way he writes about them, like waiting sooner or later to spring back open like the idea that your body is just all these parts of your body are just poised and about to go at any time I mean not at any time that's not actually how scurvy works but yeah (laughs) um were were you raised catholic or the stigmata thing is just Something that you're interested in. (laughs) I was not raised Catholic. Um, My girlfriend was partly raised, partly like one Catholic parent, one like atheist witchy parent. So nice. Yeah, (laughs) some Catholicism coming there. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I, I I mean, I'm definitely attracted to ritual and saints and this kind of, I mean, you know, the Scottish, my Scottish upbringing if it tends anyway, is more to like Protestant Calvinism suffering in a boring way, whereas Catholicism suffering <laughs> always seems like way more. <laughs> um, yeah, elevated. Know. Yeah. <laughs> and full yeah. of, yeah, way more like metaphorical as well and like symbolic and exciting. Or tell me about like your relationship to gore and horror. I like it very much. <laughs> and okay. I'm very attracted to reading horrible horrible things um I feel yeah I feel like actually my first sort of friendship with Rebecca was forged over talking about 
disgusting things and like caving disasters and people dying on Everest and having that connection of, okay, let's go. <laughs> let's describe really, really disgusting things in the world. My brother is also, my brother's an emergency medicine doctor. So wow. he, yeah, he sees disgusting things and also has like a very low, th- a very high threshold for bodies being grotesque and that being ordinary, I guess. So yeah, I <laughs> I love it. Do you feel okay about it? I I'm ready for this. I'm stealing myself. I get easily squicked out, but I I'm prepared. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think you know I I mean I'm married to Carmen, um, and my wife is just. I can't be married to a horror writer and not be interested in horror. Like, like I think over time I have become more and more fascinated by horror um, just because of my relationship. Um, but body horror, I think, is is tough for me. Like, I have trouble... I have trouble with gore in movies. I usually avert my eyes. Do you? <laughs> Um, no, I normally do, do you never avert your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say gore is definitely not the first thing I look towards in horror. It's not the thing I'm most attracted to. I think more, maybe more psychological things and more the uncanny is what I'm really attracted to. But mm-hmm. yeah, no, I also, I mean, I, I, I look, th- I put my fingers up and look through my fingers that kind of don't want to look, want to look, don't want to look, want to look, which I feel yeah I have very strongly I have the and I think this is you know the sort of idea of the research hole it's definitely one what when I follow things down I go down them and I go closer to things that I'm like oh do I want to read this yeah I want to read this oh (laughs) um yeah yeah you don't look away as much maybe yeah even research wise or you always just click on the next thing. I mean, the body horror of scurvy is really interesting to me because of, so it like operates on a number of different levels, the physical symptoms, but also the mental symptoms. And I think it has this really interesting, which I guess comes back to the idea of like saints and suffering as well. Like it's like, it sort of starts, um, making your body very weak it makes all your your joints hurt your muscles hurt makes your skin bruise really badly to everything and then it basically this beginning of the the wounds the collagen disappearing the wounds stop healing the bones re-breaking like everything opening up your teeth also like the gums become really disgusting and spongy your breath becomes disgusting your teeth all become loose and like you start bleeding internally and yeah just become this kind of stinking sack of gangrenous flesh and things falling out of it but at the same time (laughs) it's doing a lot of wild things in the mind as well and I was reading this about how one of the things it does is it stops someone described it as like disarming the sensory inhibitors that keep your senses under control so and stop you from feeling too much so like taste and smell and hearing and everything becomes overwhelmingly 
just overwhelming in every respect. So like utterly, utterly devastating in some respects, but also these moments of incredible ecstasy. So yeah, it's like this idea that like the sound of a gunshot is loud enough and terrifying enough that a man would just die if he heard it when he had scurvy. And like the smell of food or something from the shore, if this ever happened, they would just go into these like weeping with ecstasy. And it also like the effect that the vitamin C has on free radicals in the brain. It makes people start having incredible hallucinations. And because of- Sorry, what are free radicals? Free I feel like I'm my science brain is not quite understanding enough about this, but when there's too much of them there, they get in the way of the neurotransmitters and the synapses and they stop them operating properly. So yeah, they get in the way of the normal function and then the brain starts producing like hallucinatory visions. And often these visions are of the thing like the body produces these visions of what the person needs and misses, which is like fresh food because it happens when they've been at sea for a long time, when they've been somewhere and they don't have, yeah, they don't have fresh food anymore. And so this is the body breaking down in response to that. And so the brain creates these hallucinations, these incredibly vivid dreams. And these sailors would like wake up from these dreams and hallucinations and visions of beautiful food and land and they would wake up and realize they didn't have that they were in the middle of the sea it was they had some like boiled old jerky and oh my god yeah and then they would just like weep and wail and break down um there's a description from one expert who called it like these moments of falling down of the whole soul which (laughs) i really shit Wow. Do you know how long it would all take? Oh. Like, I... like if you, I wonder if you got scurvy. So I imagine you, you would have not had vitamin C for many days already to get to the point where you're feeling any symptoms, right? Yeah. I think it takes place over a matter of months. Okay. But then once it starts in, yeah then I think the symptoms can happen quite quickly. Like the, the, yeah, like weeks to months, I think we're talking, because it's sort of the long, the long journeys, the long sail journeys that they're going on. Um, but the other thing that's really interesting about it is that it's very quickly reversible. You know? Really? Well, yeah, well, like once you start to feed these people vitamin C, it's just... It happens. They come back and they, the bodies heal again. The bodies make collagen. The bodies stick themselves back together. But Oh, my God. So you just, it's like these guys just needed one orange. They just, <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, God, that's horrifying. That makes it worse somehow to It me. makes it so much worse. And, and like the number of people who died during... The number of sailors who died is so, so high. I read that like, I think three times as many died as soldiers were killed in the American Civil War. And more than like storms, shipwrecks and warfare combined, more deaths from scurvy. It was just like 
they think like two million sailors died during the age of expiration time and they just like something between like 50 percent and 80 percent of each journey they were like that's that's how many people will die of scurvy on this journey we're gonna go most of us are gonna die but it's gonna be worth it because we'll get to colonize some countries oh um my god oh my god did they did they know i mean i guess at a on some level they must not have known because then they would have maybe found a way to like keep some oranges fresh or whatever right well this is this is the other thing about scurvy that i'm really interested in and like so my favorite line in the wikipedia article about it is it's like the knowledge that consuming foods containing vitamin C is a cure for scurvy has re- been repeatedly forgotten and rediscovered into the early 20th century. So like in answer to your question, they did know and then they forgot it and then they remembered again and then they forgot it. And this sort of keeps coming back and forth over a period of like starting from about like 1500 up until 1930 when they re- finally discovered vitamin C and like identified it and yeah, isolated it, identified it and realized this was the cure, which. Right, because I actually read, I actually heard, I'm listening to another podcast <laughs> and I heard, I'm cheating. Um, it's about like wellness trends, but like critical of it. And But it talks about the discovery of vitamins and how it happened like very, like not that long ago um or or at least calling them that yeah well this is the thing and this is why this process took such a long time and this kind of discovery and then thinking it was something else because this idea that like you can be you can become sick not from something that's in food but of something that's not in food was just completely like completely the opposite way that anyone had ever thought about disease before until the theory of vitamins and the theory of yeah until they figured out what vitamins were it was always thought that it's got to be like it's got to be something that's in it that's making the sailors sick like in the things that they are eating as opposed to something that's in the things that they're not eating that's making them this way so yeah, they kind of, they had this already in like, around like 15, 1530s or so. Well, no, even before that, in like the 1490s, the Vasco da Gama, Portuguese explorer, his crew all came down with scurvy and they had some idea of that citrus fruits were good for it. And they were like, started planting, um, planting lots of fruit trees in St. Helena, which was this island um, off the coast of Africa where voyages that they would go when they were going to explore, going to colonize, going to be, do whatever shit in Asia. Then they would, they planted these trees there so that on the way back, they could drop off the people who were sick, who were sick with scurvy and leave them there to eat fruit. And they realized then that the fruit particularly had this restorative effect on them. And then wow, so they figured that much out. They figured that much out. And then there was also like a lot of like um a lot of like Native Americans, a lot of indigenous people in places already knew all of 
what cured these things. And there was other, other like the French explorers, when they went to North America, they were introduced to boiling cedar tree bark by some of the Huron people there. And the drink that was made out of that, I mean, they didn't know at the time, this is vitamin C and it does this, but they knew this cures this sickness, this stops people getting sick. And so they would, and now they discovered that like, well, now they've like analyzed that and realized that it has like, yeah, boiled cedar bark has like incredibly high levels of vitamin C and will cure all of these things. Um, But this sort of happened and they had these, some of these people making this advancing and realizing and working this out but there wasn't a lot of communication I guess at that time between sailors and different expeditions and also the fact that fruit and vegetables couldn't be kept for very long on ships meant yeah this wasn't common knowledge that got spread around or also when it did get spread around people only tended to believe it for a little length of time and then start thinking that maybe scurvy was caused by something else instead. Um, Yeah, because I guess I could see thinking like, oh, citrus would cure this thing and not making the leap to citrus is the reason we don't get it. Yeah, and also because like the thing about vitamin C that makes it quite confusing is that it's actually... It's sort of in lots of different things and it exists in a lot of different ways, but also it's quite easily destroyed by various things. So it exists in oranges and in lemons and in limes, but it also exists in organ meat in really high levels, like which particularly like seal meat, seal liver and polar bear liver became really good sources of vitamin C for like all the explorers in the Antarctic when they were going there. But obviously those are really, really different things. And also when you boil vitamin C or heat it up really, heat it up to above a certain amount, it just, it gets destroyed. So all of the ways in which they were trying to, what's the word, like condense it in order to be less to carry on these big long journeys or in order so that it would stay a long time when they were out at sea all of the methods that they tried to use to do that actually ended up destroying it which then made people be like oh maybe this isn't working after all like they'd get this lemon juice and (laughs) boil it down to make like concentrated lemon juice there's actually oh i see yeah and then when they tried yeah they would destroy it oh god yeah that is complicated that makes sense yeah there's actually a really good like the there's this scottish um scottish scientist um figuring things out who did these experiments on scurvy that are sometimes thought to be like some of the first examples of clinical trials in medical history and i was reading about the the tests he did so he had the different sailors on the ship and he decided to divide them into different groups and give them all different things that were considered cures for scurvy and see what happened to them but they were all sort of kept in the same situation otherwise and this was like considered one of the first times when anyone did that sort of kept everyone in the same situation gave them different cures saw what happened um but the cures he gave them it's so bad like two of them got oranges and lemons and that went really well 
everything was good with that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other ones, he gave some cider and that actually went not great, but a little bit okay because I think the cider had some vitamins in it. Um, the other ones he gave diluted sulfuric acid. Um, no! Some he gave <laughs> vinegar. Um, some he gave like a purgative mixture to make them vomit. And then oh. other ones he gave seawater, which they were like, maybe seawater will help. Oh my God. <laughs> It's like, let's just throw that in there. (laughs) Let's just just try a little bit of everything. But I feel so bad for those guys who were like not only suffering from like this, I don't know, hallucinatory body falling apart disease, but then get picked for the, not even the placebo, just the, we're going to feed you some seawater and see if you feel any better. And they didn't feel better. So your wounds are opening up. Yes. And you are dreaming of fresh food. You're dreaming. And when you eat some food, it tastes, it's like, I imagine it being like being very high. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting that it's like, I was thinking about LSD being called acid and how like vitamin C's, you know, is the ascorbic acid, meaning like anti-scurvy acid. So I guess it's the opposite, but I was thinking about like, yeah, how utterly hallucinatory and high all of this sound. Um, I think the food on one hand would taste really, really good, but also like this thing that was happening in terms of the the gums are all rotted. There's this like putrid blood coming in them. Um, oh, also, I, do you want me to read you another quote from a, an, a surgeon on a 16th century voyage who... Yeah, let's do it. Yeah? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm ready. Okay, so he says, It rotted all my gums, which gave out a black and putrid blood. My thighs and lower legs were black and gangrenous, and I was forced to use my knife each day to cut into the flesh in order to release this black and foul blood. I also used my knife on my gums, which were livid and growing over my teeth. When I cut away this dead flesh and caused much black blood to flow, I rinsed my mouth and teeth with my urine, rubbing them very hard. And the unfortunate thing was that I could not eat, desiring more to swallow than to chew. I'm not sure why he rinsed his mouth and teeth with urine, but... But yeah, I think the the gum disease and the stench is one of the most unpleasant things about it. I think these people were just literally rotting in all these ways. And yeah, just, just foul. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, feel I, just, <laughs> I feel I made you a little speechless. It's funny. I knew we were going to talk about scurvy. So I felt like I would be more like, oh, gross. Ugh. But it's more like transportive than that to really think about it, isn't it? So one of the other interesting things about the way that it kept coming back. So, yeah, this the Scottish sailor, the Scottish guy discovered that did, did his test, fed some people seawater, fed some vinegar. They threw up and things. Um, and so he sort of figured out that it was lemons. But then again, because of the way they treated the lemons, they also, there wasn't really a distinction at that time between lemons and limes as being different fruits. 
they thought they were the same fruit, but just the way you get like a red apple and a green apple. And yeah, be- because of because of like various wars that were happening in the Mediterranean at the time, it became a lot easier for the. So yeah, at this point, the British realize that lemons are good. They start prescribing all the sailors lemons. All that goes really well. Like they manage to stay in at sea much longer. They fight like Napoleon and they're like, okay, this is all working really well. All of our sailors have stopped dying. But yeah, then, nice. yeah, really nice. I mean, <laughs> a, a triumphant Dead moment. sailors can't fight Napoleon. No. <laughs> and they, yeah, they're all going really well. But then they start to say, okay, because it's quite hard to get these lemons at the moment from Sicily and everywhere because of all the things that are going on here well we have like we have loads of limes in like our colonies so we're going to go and take all the limes from the West Indies and we're going to give our sailors limes instead which they didn't realize that limes actually I also didn't realize until I started reading this limes actually have way less vitamin c than lemons and also particularly if you expose them to copper which was how they had them on the boats. So they instead of all these fresh lemons, they changed to lime juice, which they kept in copper. And then it didn't work anymore. And then they were like, oh, scurvy has nothing to do with vitamins or citrus fruits because this isn't working. Oh. So, yeah. Oh, damn Guys, it. you were so close. <laughs> they were so close. Um, <laughs> and so they decided again, okay, it's something else. It's nothing to do with this. Um they decided probably it was to do with like bacteria in tinned meat that was like yeah they gave up on the lemon theory it was like it's bacteria it comes from tinned meat and and something else weird that was happening well, not weird but interesting that was happening at this time was the wealthy families in like educated americans and europeans who were from places with lots of money they all were feeding their babies pasteurized cow's milk and all the poorer families were feeding their babies breast breastfeeding um and then all of the in like yeah late 1800s all of these babies got scurvy because pasteurized cow milk destroys vitamin c and they didn't know why because they're like we're not feeding our babies tinned meat why is this happening (laughs) oh no (laughs) but wow yeah. At least the poor babies survived. Did yeah. they realize? They were like, why are all the rich babies dying? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, this is like, this is the moments in the scurvy story that I really like. It's like when the like, you know, the all the rich people and all the colonizers are the ones who, whose teeth are falling out and who are, I mean, I'm sure other people's teeth were falling out too, but who are like suffering in these ways because of progress. But it turns out a lot of the progress that they're making is actually going really backwards and (laughs) fucking them up yeah it's funny because when you started talking about it I was thinking like oh man poor sailors no one cares about sailors (laughs) um but yeah and maybe that's why no one figured it out but you're right like I I forgot that a lot of the like big time colonizing leaders were also on the boat yeah, it's Just okay. Just as likely to get scurvy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were also having a real tough old time. One of the ways in which they, when they finally worked it out, is also really interesting because 
it happened because these Norwegian in like 19 early early 20th century these Norwegian um, physicians were studying beriberi which is also a disease that is caused from malnutrition from not getting um I'm not sure what it is it's not vitamin c for that it's something else I think maybe vitamin b um but it's yeah they were trying to study that and figure out what was going on with that and they'd been studying it I think in pigeons some bird anyway and then they wanted to change to mammals and they were like okay what mammal will we pick and they decided to pick guinea pigs just because I don't know guinea pigs are cute sure fun to test on <laughs> why not um but it was really lucky that they did because it turns out um guinea pigs are the only mammal other than primates like monkeys and lemurs and things like that um who also can't produce vitamin c in their bodies so it's like humans primates and guinea pigs um so when they started testing like testing diet on these guinea pigs they were feeding them grain to see if they would get berry berry um and they didn't but instead they got scurvy and everyone was like wow what how come all these guinea pigs are getting scurvy and then they figured it out they were like oh vitamins something is missing and that's when yeah that's when they figured out they got they managed to like isolate the vitamin c the ascorbic acid and then then they were like okay now we actually know this we're gonna stop (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna stop going back um yeah but i love that it's because that it's like complete coincidence if they picked a different animal um one that could produce vitamin c in its body like how much longer might it have taken before they figured it out because they had just all these other theories about what it was about what caused it and what could cure it yeah i mean it's amazing to think about because uh, you know we know science as being so like people working on a problem for a long time um and like changing up little variations but especially when you think about old-timey science it's like amazing to think about how many things that are discovered by accident there was some things that they did that worked, but not because of the reasons they thought that they were working at the time, if you know what I mean. Right. So like, yeah, like one of the things Captain Cook did on his journeys was make, um, he stopped allowing people to skim the fat from the copper bowls, the salty fat, and drink it. And I think he had another theory about that, about how just everything had to stay very clean and he was very like oh no mess on the ship no no drinking this weird fat um but actually it turned out that the um the it was also leaching the copper and stopping people being able to absorb vitamin c so it actually meant that many less people died of scurvy there because they weren't drinking this fat that was like stopping them and there was also like in the in Scott's expeditions in the Antarctic, when he had this theory of the tinned meat being tainted and the like tinned meat causing scurvy, he made everyone eat polar bear livers and seals. And it turned out seal organs and polar bear livers are full of vitamin C, fresh ones. If you kill it fresh and eat it, it's gonna work really well. So it worked and it did stop these people getting scurvy, but not because of what he thought, not because of this reason about the like, tinned meat 
the tin meat had nothing to do with anything and yeah right like these extended moments of like correlation and not causation that like yeah I'm really I'm really into it (laughs) (laughs) so I imagine I mean I imagine people could get scurvy today in like very specific weird circumstances where they're not getting access to any fresh food right yeah totally I mean I think it happens it happens a fair amount today in like among refugees in certain situations obviously who don't have enough fresh food it happens among chronic alcoholics who stop eating well and people with mental illness but I who are not taking you know certain types of mental illness who are not like eating um eating well and eating lots of vitamins and whatever but I was reading I was actually reading an article in Slate about it that it's something that they're realizing in America anyway is much more prevalent than anyone thought they like it's sort of considered this thing that's yeah pirates and seafarers from old but I think there was like the CDC did a study that they estimate like between six and eight percent of Americans have scurvy level deficiency of vitamin C which doesn't mean all of them necessarily have fully developed into scurvy but they have that degree of deficiency and all of these doctors are finding people who live on certain types of microwave meals and meats that are not organ meat (laughs) who are coming in with like all of these symptoms of these bruises of these like decaying gums of and lethargy and like complete fatigue is the other thing that just they actually thought for a while that scurviness was caused by laziness because people who had it just lay around all the time (laughs) that's again oh (laughs) god (laughs) not cool something we're maybe all thinking about a lot at the moment is this idea of like curing a disease or making a disease not exist anymore i've been thinking about that a lot recently yeah, um and there's way. i don't know it's just on my mind you know <laughs> <laughs> but this idea of like eradication with scurvy can never happen you know because it's you can't like wipe it out of society because as soon as it's something that needs to be maintained all the time of not being around because as soon as people stop being given like a variety of vitamins in their life it'll come back or it's still everywhere yeah I mean that's fascinating I I I think I vaguely knew that skirt before this podcast that scurvy was something that sailors got that had to do with not getting good food but the way of framing it as a deficiency versus a disease is really interesting and like it it does it makes so much sense when in thinking about it when people were thinking about it as a disease um that they like weren't able to identify how to fix it um yeah it's crazy yeah I just feel like it involves completely changing your conception of how health works you know to go from the I can catch this and 
which is also like that's also a really interesting how like when germ theory was discovered and how that works but yeah coming from this idea of like something that comes from things in contagion and going towards an idea of like something that comes from lack it also i don't know yeah reading all of this i was also thinking about all of these things that we don't understand you know like ibs or chronic fatigue syndrome or like immune system things if there if there is a cure for these things that is very simple but is just completely the opposite way of what we think about them and there's going to be a point in the future where we figure out and it's like oh my god can you believe they just didn't eat the orange Ugh. <laughs> it's like wow. frustrating and fascinating it's so frustrating right. yeah um, i mean i i have to say scurvy is not the way i want to go no no, it seems I'm like with a you. bad way to go. But I am, I am a little glad for the sailors that they maybe had some moments of ecstasy worked in there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's not something that I would want. But there is like reading about it and this sense of like utter, utter like demonic joy and delight at this moment of like being, yeah even if it's in the middle of your hallucinatory dreams, is also, I'm drawn to it at the same time. Yeah. I mean, because there is something about pain that is so at like, how if you're in enough distress, you are no longer yourself. Do you know about mad cow disease? Uh, Like, I know of it. I don't know about it in enough depth. I don't know about it much either. I'm probably going to say this wrong, but I do know that like a fact about mad cow disease is that you get these like intense hallucinations before you die. Yeah. And that also has to do with like meat and what you're taking into your body. And I don't know. And then we're all these meat sacks. I I don't know where I'm going. It's just... <laughs> is that we're all such meat sacks and that like we're also I don't know <laughs> like this idea of yeah like dependency also on food that we have to put in our bodies and like food being this thing of like utmost incredible pleasure but also yeah I don't know thinking about mad cow I- disease now <laughs> What I heard, oh yeah, I'm going to send you down that hole for sure, Um, because it's interesting. One thing I heard on this podcast I listened to coincidentally yesterday about the vitamin, when it became like more well-known and scientifically that like, oh, vitamins are a thing. If you don't have them, you die. That caused (laughs) this like huge panic um, that a lot of sort of snake oil salesmen also seized on because... It was a new idea and it is, it is a horror, like it's a horrible idea in a way. Yeah, I mean, as soon as you start thinking about that, you start thinking about being in a situation where you don't have those things and this idea, like it's this idea of bodies as things that need things. (laughs) I mean, I just like the aspiration to be something that never needs anything. And the more you read, it's like, no, I got to keep putting stuff in it. Otherwise, it's going to fall apart in the (laughs) most horrible way. Yes, yes. I think that's it. I think I think all of the horror stems from 
the lack of control though i mean the wounds thing is so good i mean that's the scariest part i guess i mean that yeah once i find that out it really it made me want to talk to all my friends and be like what would happen to you if you had advanced like where where are you going to peel open you know like I had appendix surgery. Exactly. And then, That's exactly yeah. what I'm thinking about right now. <laughs> yeah. Like I had appendix I'm surgery like, and then I had a hernia after that. So like my stomach has like a mesh mesh in it and it's rejoined together. And if, yeah, when I, in my advanced scurvy, my, my, my intestines are going to fall out. That's, that's where <gasps> I'm headed. <laughs> <laughs> Take your vitamin C, kids. I, I am. <laughs> yeah. Like I have a friend who was in a car accident, like a bike and car accident when he was younger and has a big scar across his skull. And it's just like, yeah, your your skull is going to fall open and your brains are going to fall out. Oh, my God. That's not cool. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm very lucky when I think about it because I haven't been in a big break like that. I haven't had major surgery. Um I'm like, okay, what would happen? My, my, some big wounds would open up in my back. I definitely have had moles removed. Ooh, and yeah, one in my face. Ooh, that's gonna yeah. be nice. Just this. <laughs> yeah, that'll be that'll be rough. Right, just right along my cheek, like Frankenstein. <sighs> <That's> um. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like my knuckles. I'm like, where have I gotten stitches? Yeah, yeah. my knuckles and my knees and- are definitely just gonna be weeping. <laughs> Oh my God, what about tattoos? <gasps> Is everyone going to bleed out of their tattoos? Oh, that's that's going to be kind of beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wonder if I wonder if that's a thing for your novel. <laughs> that is, thank you so much. That is definitely. <sighs> well. Yeah, which also now I'm thinking, well, the sailors and the tattoos. This you're is... right. It's not like tattoos are new. Um, yeah. Oof. Well, <laughs> after this, I'm going to go eat some fruit. Um, you, you, <laughs> you absolutely should. Um, I want to tell you about something that they thought was a cure, which okay, is yeah. maybe a nice thing to end on because it turned out fruit was the cure and seal liver. Um, but what they thought was a cure for a while was so good. It was earth bathing because earth bathing earth bathing <laughs> because what? so they spent all of this you know they realized that this was a disease that was happening to people when they were at sea for a really long time they come up with this term scorbutic nostalgia which is like this nostalgia for that you get when you have scurvy for like the for home for going back and being on land um but then they came up with this theory that it's it's not it's not even just being on land it's the earth your body is missing the earth so they decided to like start this treatment where you would put someone in a box and cover them in in dirt pour it on <laughs> particularly dirt from the homeland <laughs> get some good english dirt on your on your ship which i was i hadn't even thought of this when i was talking about this with my girlfriend who was like that's really disgusting if the symptom is all your wounds are open and you're just throwing yeah. a load of mud on top of this person. Which... Oh my God. Oh, oh, that's what did it for me. That that really <laughs> turned my stomach, that idea. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Before that, I was like, that's kind of sweet. Like, <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> like, obviously it didn't work, but like, I don't know. I'm a gardener. I get it. Right? You can see but it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's horrible. But Did they this... fill them all the way up in the box? Like, were they... I think they'd lie down like... in a box and they'd cover over their body. But it actually came from... There's this... This 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 crazy guy, James Graham, who was a Scottish sexologist in like the 1750s, 60s. Um, and he's the guy who was really came up with earth bathing and was like, it's so good. It cures everything. He thought it cured like everything. He thought it cured cancer. It, it cured venereal diseases. It cured gout. It obviously cured scurvy. Um, he also said like it was if you were overweight it would suppress your appetite so you should bury yourself in um, mud for six hours and then you won't want to eat anymore (laughs) Um, but he used to he used to do it in London as a public spectacle where he would he would get naked with a lady and they would be buried in a garden bed and all the Londoners would pay a shilling to watch this demonstration of public health take place yeah i'd pay i would pay for that i would totally pay for that and (laughs) yeah so he came up with this and then they did it on the ships they would send boxes of dirt out on the ships so that when people came down with scurvy they'd just cover them in dirt and be like come on you're all right now oh my god is does sexologist mean what i think it means I mean, he did, <laughs> did he study sex? Yes. Yeah, he also, like, invented this weird bed, which, uh, like, uh, yeah, I need to read more about it. But, like, James Graham, um, I can maybe, I can send you a link to some of his things if you like. Um, totally. We will put a link in the show notes. <laughs> he's, yeah. Um, he's a weird one. Yeah, I'm so glad you told me that. That is, I love that. And also, I it's funny because like on some level, it's so wrong, but it makes it makes intuitive sense. Completely. And I don't think putting any part of your body in dirt cures any major illnesses. But I did hear about a study recently that um, like engagement with dirt can help with depression because like some kind of chemical in a lot of soil that can uh, like a little bit affect chemicals in your body um amazing and I loved that study because I again I garden and it does always make me feel better um that's so nice it could be just because it's like a repetitive task that's outside um, but I do think like putting your hands in dirt is is nice. Completely. But also, yeah, I don't think it cures cancer. But like, there's, th- I have sympathy for this man. <laughs> well, you're gonna, yeah. <laughs> like some of the other things he said is, um, if if you're infertile couples were told to like have sex on a mattress made out of stallion hair, and that would make them more <laughs> fertile. <laughs> Um, and yeah, <laughs> women who were women who were infertile were told to wash their vaginas in champagne because that would 
sort them out. He had a lot of good theories about what was. Okay, so this guy was just <laughs> making a lot of like imaginative leaps. But yeah, the earth bathing, <laughs> I, like, I like when you read the rest of his stuff that the earth bathing becomes more and more like, okay, yeah, this sounds... This sounds completely sensible. Yeah. I'm into it. It's like that's way more chill than putting your pussy in champagne. <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna sting a little bit. But I don't know. It sounds decadent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, do what you want to do, but <laughs> maybe don't do that thing. <laughs> oh my god. Wait, wait. So the last thing I wanted to also discuss is. I was wondering if there's anything else that has a lot of vitamin C besides the two categories we talked about. So we talked about lemons, like citrus, and the whale, the sort of mammal organs. And then you mentioned the tree bark. Yeah. Do you know of anything else? I think... Can I Google it? You can Google it. Yeah, what else? <laughs> Let's see. Oh, I know the other good one is potatoes. Potatoes have loads of vitamin C. Oh, no shit. And this actually became a really big thing because in Scotland particularly, the scurvy wasn't just a disease that happened for sailors. It was also a thing that happened people in Northern Europe in the darkest part of winter when nothing that had vitamins grew anymore. So when people started eating just flour and bread and whatever at this point in winter... Um, scurvy became a really big thing among yeah among people then and then when they brought potatoes over from America I think this was in like I don't know the 18th century also maybe then scurvy scurvy left the land people the land people (laughs) scurvy became a thing (laughs) that was not like not such a thing that people suffered from in Scotland anymore. It was kind of eradicated apart from in these instances of alcoholism and um, pop. Man, I wish they had bought potatoes on the ships. I guess they're too heavy. <laughs> I love, yeah, I, lo- I love the like, ah, oh, if only, you know, if only. But I mean, I don't know, if only they'd, if they'd had more, then I think it's probably good, you know? It stopped... The British and the Portuguese and the Spanish and everyone doing any more colonizing that they did because they all died on the ships. That's a very good <laughs> Those point. Those dead sailors. That's a really good point. Yeah. I'm seeing that a lot of vegetables also have it. Well, this is good. What are you going to eat for your lunch now? Are you going to make sure? <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a total, like... I'm having a, t- a very dumb panic because we don't have fresh food in the house right now. Um, <laughs> we're getting a grocery order on like Tuesday. The past two nights I've been eating a lot of sort of bean and pasta heavy meals. And I'm like, oh shit, maybe I should uh-uh. just go get some spinach right now. Which is very <laughs> illogical. Like I'm not going to get scurvy right I mean, now. <laughs> I don't know, Tuesday? This is, that's a few days. You're going to... yeah. But, you know, the psychosomatic scurvy might come for you in the night. This is Val from the future trying to help psychosomatic scurvy not come for you in the night. You need about 75 milligrams to 90 if you're a man, Um, 75 if you're a woman per day. 
And that's not super much. Like there are some fruits like a cup of strawberries or um, a fourth of a cantaloupe that give you more than that. And there are plenty more um, that will give you not 75 milligrams, but it's up there. So you can head to the link in the show notes if you need more than that. Also, um, scurvy takes a while. Like you'd have to have no fruit or vegetables for about a month before you start to be classified as having anything approaching scurvy. Hope that helps. (laughs) Okay. Um, God, thank you so much. That was fascinating. Like even more than I, I expected it to be gross, but it was like even more fascinating to me than gross. Oh, I'm so glad. And thank you for talking to me about this. I feel it was a very exciting hole that I went down and really wanted to talk to someone who'd appreciate all of the beautifulness and horribleness that came out. So seriously, anytime you find something beautiful and horrible that doesn't fully fit into your work, hit me up. <laughs> Um, do you want to, before we go, do you want to do something I learned this week? Yes. So another very exciting thing happened to me this week, podcast related excitement, which is that I got my, this is, I don't know if you know this, Jane, but this is not really a big time podcast (laughs) (laughs) yet. Um, but I got my first listener email from somebody I don't know at all oh that's very exciting that is and I always said that's how I'll know like that at least I'm making it to some people right yeah and how does it feel it feels amazing I tried not to read her so I encourage people and listeners I encourage you to email me something you learned this week um email researchholepodcast at gmail.com um, it can be a little thing you learned while just living your life, or it could be sharing a little bit about your research hole that you've fallen into. It doesn't really have to be this week. But um, this very nice person, Olivia Fonte, emailed me. Um, she said, I just started listening a couple weeks ago. I came for the episode with Carmen about tigers, but then binge the rest. Um, and she said, by the way, the most recent one about Bryn Mawr scandal is probably my favorite. Genuinely made me laugh out loud at times and just so interesting. Thank you, Olivia. And then Olivia says, anyways, here's what I learned this week. And I think I think it might be on brand for this episode because it is about <laughs> placentas. Oh, my God. I'm very excited already. Do you know anything about placentas before we delve into something Olivia learned? Um, I mean, I know some people eat them. Same. Like, I feel like <laughs> that's where my mind goes now is like gross stuff about placentas is they come out after the baby mm-hmm. and then some people eat them for a reason that I assume they think it's nutritious. I don't know. Anyway. I mean, come on. Here's, you- here's what Olivia <laughs> Here's what Olivia says. Um, Placentas are very interesting. (laughs) So basically, like right after fertilization in the very beginning of the pregnancy, this sort of sac-like thing forms around the baby, and that is part of the placenta. 
The reason it does this is because the DNA of the baby has partially the sperm's DNA, so it's unfamiliar to the person who's carrying the baby's body. I didn't know that. (laughs) So it's like like the body would want to reject it maybe if the placenta doesn't form. That is is my guess. Yeah. That's great. That's That's some body horror right there. A nice protective sack to keep out the like... Yeah, invading fetus? Yeah, I guess. It says, because of this, if the... Yeah, because of this, if the sac were not to be formed, the body would basically do everything to push the baby out because it's like unfamiliar, unfamiliar, unfamiliar. (laughs) 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 Olivia, this is a great email. But because the sac is formed around the baby, essentially concealing it from the body, the body can't really recognize that it's there. So the baby is fine. Oh, that is beautiful. Yeah, it's it's beautiful and surprising because like you think of pregnancy as being like it's a biological reality. And so <laughs> you'd think the body the body would be like, oh, I'm pregnant. So this is a baby. Yeah. And just wouldn't reject it that way. But apparently not. Apparently not. And then Olivia goes on to say, however, if an error occurs in making the sack, then that poses a problem and is one of the reasons for miscarriages. There are many things that could go wrong when it comes to pregnancies, and this is just one of them. So it's kind of amazing to think about when the baby does survive. Anyway, hope you found this interesting. Was, we do. Yeah. Bodies are amazing. They... Bodies are amazing and terrifying. Jane, your bio is so badass. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Is <laughs> if Can people read any of your work online um, or in any anthologies or anything like that? And can people um, hear Razor Cunts anywhere? Yes, you can do all of those things. I mean, Razor Cunts, there are not many other bands with the same name. So you can also, we're very Googleable. And (laughs) have some, yeah, we have some music videos on YouTube. And we have um, our album on Bandcamp and such like. Um, Yeah. It's, it's, Yeah. It's a lot of fun. We have two cellos and lots of screaming and drums. <laughs> Ambika plays the drum. Ambika plays the drums with her feet. And oh both, my god. And we both play cellos and then we both sing at each other. I was about to ask is, are, is so is it two of you or just more? Two of us. No, in just your band. Two. The best number. Oh my god. <laughs> Much easier to make decisions. <laughs> <laughs> And you play so many things. That's so cool. Yeah. I also play a tambourine with one foot, but I'm not, yeah, I'm not quite so ambidextrous or whatever the ambidextrous of feet is, as Ambika is. Um, so everybody go go to our show notes or go on YouTube and look up Razor Cunts and go to our show notes too if you want to read more of Jane's works thank you so much for having me here it's been a total delight and yeah enjoy your vitamin rich lunch 
I will. And I look forward to one day reading about your post post apocalyptic girl gang. <laughs> yes. They're, they're going to be tough, <laughs> tough and cute. <laughs> you just listened to Research Hall. I'm Val Howlett. Our music is by Joey Howlett. Our logo is by Leah Felicity Lucci. Goodbye.